Hi, welcome to Living Water Bible Fellowship's audio sermons. It's our prayer and hope that you'll be encouraged and uplifted by the preaching of God's Word. Stick around after the message to hear more about how to contact us. Thank you for singing out to our great God and Savior. Thank you for uh, proclaiming His name, worshiping Him in song. We turn our attention to the Word. We ask that God would bless our time. Uh, Luke, Pastor Luke and Pastor Greg and I went to a, a little Zoom meeting a few days back on, on online ministry, and one of the recommendations was that on our, our website, the pastors have a, their biography present. And I, since we redid, redid our website, I haven't had my, bio, my biography present. You know, like a, a kind of a little snapshot saying, who are these goofy pastors, where are they coming from, kind of a thing. And, but it was really neat for me to type that up again because it caused me to remember the grace of God in my life. It caused me to remember how God pulled me out of darkness into his light. Because I was a mess when I was 19 when Jesus found me and, and he changed my life. And it was just a wonderful remembering how he got a hold of me and how he, how he saved me. And so I was thinking about that. But then I got thinking as I was studying the passage today, I was thinking about uh, why, why did God leave me here? <laughs> he saved me. He rescued me. Why did he leave, leave me in this world? Why, why, why did he leave me in this mess? He could have taken me home right away. It's the same with all of us, right? He saved us. He brought us into his kingdom. He made us his people. Why did he leave, leave us here? What's the purpose of the church? What's the, what's the focus, the function of the church? Why, why does he still need us here on the earth when we could be home with him and avoid all these troubles and all these tribulations and all these trials? So that's, that's the question today into this text is, what's the purpose why are we here? Why did he leave us? What, is he, what, what function does he have for us? So if you open your Bibles to 1 Peter, it's 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 4 is where we uh, left off last week. And last week, uh, you know, our, our journey through Peter so far, again, uh, he's, he's made us a, a people to be holy. He's made us a people with hope. He's made us a people to, uh, to please God. He's, he's calling us to be a people that love God. He's called us to, to seek the word, uh, and, and why? The, the question is, why? So that we could grow, but why? So we pick up in verse 4. As you come to him, a living stone, rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house, to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, and a stone of stumbling, and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. And please stop there. Uh, if you remember the kind of the metaphor last week of the spiritual milk of the Word of God, uh, we were called as a people, Peter's exhorting us to thirst for the Word of God, to thirst for the truth of God. And, and uh, who, who is the, the, the truth of God? Who is the Word of God? It's Jesus Christ. There's some wordplay going on in, in verse 2 that we, we didn't read, but like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual so milk, milk, that by it you may grow up in your salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. 
Okay, so we've tasted that the Lord of good. We've come to Jesus Christ. And so in verse 4, he's kind of playing around with this. As you come to him, as you come to the word of God, and, and the, the word, the verb there, it's an ongoing thing. As you keep coming to him, you've come to him, you've been saved, you've come to him, you're being changed from the inside out, you're being transformed. As you keep coming to him, he's making you into something. He's building you into something. There's some construction terminology here. There's some building terminology here. And, and there's a, a, a metaphor that's like a wild metaphor because it's so uh, strange. And it comes from the Old Testament. As, As you, you come, come to him, Jesus Christ, the living stone. Now, most stones that I've run across are not living. <laughs> They're inanimate. You know, they don't move. They don't bark. They don't do nothing. Right? But Jesus is described as the living stone. Now, that gets to his resurrection. He's alive. He's not dead. But, but he's a stone. What kind of stone? Well, that last song he's saying, he's the cornerstone. A cornerstone is the most important part of the building. A cornerstone is the most, most important part of the ancient structures because that cornerstone, it laid the foundation, a, a, a straight foundation, flat foundation, a sure foundation. But the, the walls of, of, of the building, you know, they're plumb, they're, they're straight, the, their alignment were, came off of the cornerstone. Okay, so he's using construction mentality, and he uses those, those verses from, from verses 6, six through 8, those, those scriptural references, to prove that this was God's building plan from ancient of times. Behold, I'm laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious. Okay, whoever believes in him will not be put in So he's saying, I have planned for a long time to build a, a new structure. And Peter's, you know, he's, he's using some, some, some language here, some spiritual language, some metaphorical language to get to a point. I've been planning this for a long time, and Jesus Christ has come. Peter says, Jesus, the one I wanted to build my kingdom on, the one I wanted to build the future on, the one I wanted to save the world with, he's come. He's the living stone. And you, Peter's reminding the people who are suffering. Peter's reminding the people that are going persecution and trial. They're hated by the world. They're being despised of the world. They're the scum of the earth. They're being rejected. They're being spit upon. They're being uh, put in jail. What, all the things that happen in a terrible time of persecution. You are being built on Jesus Christ. You are being built as living stones. The metaphor continues, and he's talking about us. He's talking about all the church for the last 2,000 years being built on the rock of Jesus Christ. There's a purpose in that. There's, there's importance in that. There's value in that. There's responsibility in that. We're being built into something that God can use. Okay, so you see the metaphor, you feel kind of where he's going there. You have come to him. You keep coming to him. As you keep coming to him, the one who is rejected by men, remember on, on, on Friday he was a thief. On Friday he was wearing a crown of thorns. On Friday, he was spit upon. On Friday, he was mocked. And on a Sunday, he was the king, the king of the world. Remember the one who was rejected by men on Friday. You come to him, but in God's sight, precious and chosen. The plan of God, the plan of the world, the plan for the future, it all centered on Jesus Christ. As you keep coming to him, you are being built you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house. Now, uh, ladies, he's not calling you a house. That, okay, that was a joke. I was, I was trying to, just trying to get there. He's, he's not calling us like this, this rectangular structure. 
He's not, he's not making this, this sense that we're this, this building, like, like we got this building back here that's concrete and steel and plastic, okay? He's not, but he wants us to have that imagery of a temple, a, a house of God. Now, think about, uh, like, I don't know, we might have 120, 140 people in here right now, something like that. Last night, we had about 30 people at the Saturday night service. Second service, we might have 100, 120 people, I don't know. Each little gathering of people, that's like a new house. It's like this amorphous house that changes. Sometimes in your small group, you got eight people there. You're, you're a house of God. You're the presence of God. We're the presence of God here. We are, we are representing God. We are these living stones that are built on Jesus Christ. We're, we've been put in him. We're, we're in relationship with him. We're in Christ. God is building up foundation of the apostles and prophets upon Jesus, the chief cornerstone from Ephesians 2.20 and 21. He's building up a house for a purpose, to house the presence of God. You didn't maybe come to church this morning thinking that you were, you were housing the presence of God, that, that God's temple was going to be built as you came. But God is here now. And we are here as his worshipers. We are here. We're making something that wasn't. We're, we're, we're bringing into existence a, 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 a worship of God that wouldn't be if we didn't show up and come together as one. Now, this spiritual house theme, it runs all through the scriptures. Remember in Genesis, as God walked in the garden in the cool of the day. <laughs> the Garden of Eden, that was his temple. He created the earth as his temple. He didn't need the earth. He didn't need anything like that. He, he didn't need creation, but he made creation. He made the earth. He made the Garden of Eden so he could be present with his people. And then when Adam and Eve, when they sinned, they were cast out of the garden, they were separate from God. But God wanted to be present with his people that he had made. And so we go to Exodus. And by the end of Exodus, there's been this tabernacle that's been built. In Exodus 40, the Spirit of God comes into the tabernacle. God is present with his people once again. But it's a physical tent. It's a physical structure. As time goes on, uh, God it gives uh, David uh, an answer to his prayer. And, and David's son Solomon is allowed to build a temple, bricks and mortar. Allowed to build a temple, a, a beautiful temple. In 1 Kings chapter 8, the spirit of God comes into that temple. God is present with his people. God is and so the worship of God goes forth into the world. The worship of God, there's a presence where the worship of God goes forth through his people into the world, before the world, as a witness to the world. And then Israel fell into sin, right? They started worshiping other gods. They didn't make God their God. They started looking at other gods and worshiping other gods. They were adulterous people, not living in covenant with their God, but rejecting their God. And so God pulled out his spirit. Remember in Ezekiel, the first part of Ezekiel, the spirit moved out of the temple. Then the temple was destroyed by the Babylonians. No presence of God amongst his people in a building. But God, through the prophets, uh, encouraged. You read Ezra, the book of Ezra, and then Nehemiah. God, God built a temple again. He allowed Israel to come back to the land and build a temple. But we don't read of any time in the rest of the Old Testament where the spirit comes back into that temple. There's promises Haggai says that the former glory will not be like the future glory in God's house. And Malachi says, the Lord you're seeking, Malachi 3.1 says, the Lord you're seeking will come to his temple. But there's like 400 years there where nothing's happening. God doesn't come back. The people are still in exile. They're away from their God. 
And then we get into Matthew, we begin the, the beginning of Matthew. We see that Jesus, as the baby, <laughs> Simeon and, and Anna are waiting in, in the temple for the, the revelation of God. God comes into his temple incarnate in Jesus Christ. God comes into his temple. God tabernacled, Jesus tabernacled in our, in our midst. He became incarnate. He took on flesh. God became present with his people again in Jesus Christ. The fullness of God present in Jesus. Okay, so he walked in our flesh. God was here in this world as God in Jesus' body. Jesus was God, fully God, fully man. But then Jesus, he came to this earth to go to that cross to die for us, to make for a people of his very own, to make living stones, built it for God's work and God's purposes. As he was going, remember in, in the, the Last Supper, that last night, he said, I'm going to send my spirit. When I depart, it's good because, because the spirit's going to come. And so God's promise came true at Pentecost. God came back to be with his people. He came back to be with his people. He came to his people. And the Bible calls us a temple of the Holy Spirit. Each one of us individually, but corporately, we are a temple of God. We're the spiritual house of God. And God keeps building us to be the presence of God. And you've got to ask yourself, what's that purpose? What's that point? He gets at it a little bit farther if we keep reading. But it doesn't stop there. Let me just keep going. It doesn't stop with us being the temple because one day Jesus Christ is going to come back. One day he's going to make a new earth. He's going to redeem the earth, reform the earth. We read in Revelation 21 and 22 that that garden temple that began in Genesis, it's going to come again where God is going to dwell upon the earth, the new Jerusalem, when it comes down, when he changes this earth, God's temple, <laughs> the world is going to be his temple again. And we're going to be with our God forever in his holy temple, where there will be no more sun or need for moon because he is the light of that temple. And so the theme throughout the Bible is God wants to be with his people. God's going to be with his people. He's going to save us to be with him forever. He's saving us and he will save us. What end? What purpose? Why am I here? Why didn't you take me home, Lord, when you saved me? You yourselves, verse 5, like living stones are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices to God through Jesus Christ. <clears throat> to be a holy priesthood. Now, some of you grew up Catholic. Maybe some of you were in Orthodox church. I don't know, you're familiar with priests, but most of us aren't familiar with priests. But what do priests do? Priests are these intermediary people. They're, they're kind of in the middle. They represent God to the people. They represent the people to God. They offer spiritual sacrifices. They offer offerings to God in worship. The people bring their offerings to the priest. The priests take it to God. But the Old Testament priests, they also brought God to the people in the sense that they preached God's law. The Old Testament, one of the big jobs of the priest was to preach the word of God, to preach God's law to the people, to preach God's covenant to the people and apply it. We're called priests, meaning as a spiritual house, as the temple of the Holy Spirit, the place where God dwells, we are called to represent God to the world. We are called to be offerers of offerings and sacrifices. We are his worshipers, and we're called to bring others to his worship. A spiritual house full of holy priests. Now, holiness, holy priests, 
Holiness in what sense? Remember, as, as Luke preached a while back, be holy for I am holy. Holy in what's in the Old Testament, Israel called be holy. You remember as you read some of the Old Testament, like Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy, some of those strange laws, like you can't have two kinds of fabric in the clothes you wear, can't plant two kinds of, you know, a, a crop in a field, all those different things. It was about holiness. You shall not be like the peoples around you. You shall not be like the nations around you, for you're holy. And that holiness, that distinctiveness, we're called to be distinct from the people around us so we can represent God well and so the world can see us as different. So distinctive in what ways? Be holy as I am holy. Be distinct as I am distinct. Be righteous. Be godly. Be true. Be distinct in your love. Love one another passionately. Be a people of hope. We've talked about these things in 1 Peter. Be a different kind of a people so you can represent God well, so the people can see your great God and worship your great God. We're given a status so that we can perform a function. We are given a high and holy status as the people of God so that we can perform a function upon the earth in his name. Offering spiritual sacrifices, what might some of those sacrifices look like? Probably the most famous one in the New Testament that, that you, you're probably aware of, maybe you memorize this verse, uh, Romans chapter 12, verse 1, if you turn there with me, please. Romans chapter 12, verse 1. After 11 chapters of explaining the mercies of God, after 11 chapters of preaching the mercies of God, Paul applies it to his readers. Therefore, I appeal to you, brothers, by the mercies of God, in view of the mercies of God, some of your translations might say, to present your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. And that's quite, that's quite the calling, isn't it? To give everything you are to God as an act of worship. Now, is that, is that too much to ask? Not when he's given everything for us. Not when he has given everything to save us for eternity. It's not asking too much for us to give our bodies. In other words, to give our lives to God in worship. And so your going to school life is, can be or should be an act of worship. Your going to work life can be and should be an act of worship. Your married life, your parenting life can and should be an act of worship. Offer whatever you do up to God at your spiritual act of worship. Some other ways to look at this, Hebrews chapter 13. Hebrews chapter 13, we could probably uh, uh, talk a lot about some different things here, but Hebrews chapter 13, verse 15, what is a spiritual sacrifice by a holy priesthood? Chapter 13, verse 15, through him, let us then continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. That's what you guys did today. As you praised him and thanked him. That's what you did today as you sang. That's what you do during the week when you, when you talk about God, when you, when you thank God for what he's doing, when you witness to your coworkers about how good your God is, how great your God is, what he's done. Then in verse 16, do not neglect to do good and to share what you have for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. And so like Holly and Sarah, their ministry, Project Growing Hope, of sharing food with uh, the students in our valley. That's a sacrifice of praise if it's done with the right spirit. When you help people in their needs, when you help people with their rent or their lights, when you help people uh, with their food bill, 
when you help people, you know, fix their car or whatever, that, that can be, if it's done with the right spirit, a sacrifice of praise by a holy priesthood representing God, glorifying God by what we do. It's a beautiful thing when you take people out, when you take food out to the homeless camp. It's a beautiful thing if it's done in the right spirit unto Jesus. For all of our offerings are done through Jesus Christ. So we could, we could talk more about that, what that means, what that looks like, but... but uh, Turn back to First Peter with me, please. Uh, chapter 2, verse, verse 5. It says, it says there, You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sac sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Everything goes through the mediator. Everything, everything we do, Jesus is our filter. Jesus, is, <laughs> he's the one we're tied to. We're in Jesus. We're related to Jesus. So our offerings, they're made acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. An act of worship. Have you thought about your life this way? That God has taken your life, he's taken my messed up, broken life, and he's making it something sacred and holy. He's, he's called my name and he's called your name. He's, he's called you to be his people. He's making you into something great, something eternal, something, something extravagant. He's making you into his people so that you can glorify him. Now, all of the earth, every person on the earth was made for God's glory. We've all been created for his glory, but do you realize you've been redeemed to be his witnesses? You've been redeemed. He's called your name. He's chosen you. He's written you in his book of life. He saved you by his blood. He's, he's brought grace into your life. He's regenerated you. He's justified you. He's sanctifying you. One day he will glorify you. He's done all these things for a purpose. And our purpose is to live for God. Our purpose is to serve God as spiritual priests. Now, now I don't have time to go into some of these, in verses 6 through 8, some of, the, some of the background on Isaiah and Psalm 118. But if you jump down to verse 9. Peter has been, he, he went through those verses and he's saying, some people accepted Christ, some people haven't. Okay, some people have come into God as a sanctuary, they've been built up in a sanctuary, but some people have stumbled over the stumbling stone. Some people have rejected Christ, they've rejected what he's accomplished, they've rejected him as their savior. Uh, that's just the way it is. And, and, and some, it even says there is what was destined to happen. Now, I think that was meant for the people to be an encouragement to them. As they're suffering, as they're being broken, they've chosen Christ, and so they're being honored. They've got a bright future ahead. But, but he continues that vein, he continues in that thought. But you, the world might reject you, the world might hate you, the world might, might spit on you, the world might say you're a, you're a fool for believing in Christ. The world might, your family might condemn you, the, the fa your family might kick you out of the house. Uh, Faith and, uh, and Chris know about that in Asia about how you're rejected by your family if you don't start following, you know, if you start following Jesus, you, you don't keep in the traditions, the ways of the family, honoring the family. Uh, you might be the scum of the earth in some, eyes, some people's eyes, but God says, but Peter says, but you are a chosen race. You are a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. 
Uh, where do you recognize those titles from? Uh, those come from the Old Testament. Those titles are all speaking of Israel. And now Peter's applying them to the church. There's a couple theories, there's a couple theologies, and I won't get into some of the theology. But one of the theologies says that when Israel rejected Jesus as their Messiah, when Jesus offered to be their king, they said no. One of the theories is that Israel's place was taken by the church. Okay, they lost their status, they lost their position, they lost their, their being the people of God for a season. And in, that, in this certain theology, national Israel is done right now, but it has a future. When Jesus comes back, when the kingdom comes, when the millennial period starts, national Israel will have a future once again. But right now, they've been displaced. Right now, Israel is not the people of God. National Israel, in, 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 in Israel right now, the secular government is not the people of God. The church is. The one day national Israel will come back to prominence when Jesus comes back. That's one view of, of what's happening here. The other view is that, the, that uh, uh, when Jesus came, um, national Israel, a lot of the Jewish people rejected Jesus, but some didn't. <laughs> some accepted Jesus. And so there's a continuation of Israel into the church. The church is the remnant of Israel, a continuation. The church has become the people of God. The titles that belong to Israel now belong to the church. National Israel doesn't really have a future. There's a time in the future when a lot of Jews will come to Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. When Jesus comes back, there'll be one people of God in the kingdom of God forever. So either, either whatever, whatever theology you take, Israel's been displaced for a season temporarily, or Israel is now the church. The church is now Israel. Regardless of which theology you take, Peter is saying now the church has these titles. Why do they have these titles? Why are they the chosen people of God? Why are you the chosen race? Why are you, fascinating terminology, a royal priesthood. Royal and priest. People in ancient times, almost nobody was royal. I mean, almost nobody was priest. But now you are royal priests. A holy nation, a nation set apart. These, 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 boy, look at that clock. It just keeps moving. Goodness. So much more to say. Right, Chris? We, we just, we don't give up the mic if we have the chance. You just keep, no, I won't do that to you. You see what's happening here, though. I mean, write down, if you're taking notes, write down these references. Isaiah 43, verses 20 through 21. Uh, Isaiah says to the people, you're a chosen people to declare my praises. Isaiah 43, verses 20 through 21. And, and, and write down Exodus 19, verses 3 through 6. Exodus 19, verses 3 through 6. God rescued Israel out of Egypt. God rescued Israel out of Egypt. He made them his people. He called them into covenant. He saved them first, and then he gave them the law. He called them into relationship, and he said to them, you'll be, for me, a treasured possession. You'll be, for me, a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. All the world is mine, but Israel, in Exodus 19, you'll be, for me, a treasured possession, a holy nation, a kingdom of priests, to what end? A holy nation. I, I, I've got time. Uh, look, look at, look at uh, Le Leviticus. Look at Leviticus. 
chapter 18, verses 1 through 5. What does it mean to be holy? <clears throat> okay. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, now God is giving his covenant. He's, he's given his covenant to Israel that he saved. God's, the Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to the people of Israel and say to them, I am the Lord your God. You shall not do as they do in the land of Egypt where you live, and you shall not do as they do in the land of Canaan to which I am bringing you. He's calling them the holiness. You shall not walk in their statutes. You shall, not, you, you shall follow my rules and keep my statutes and walk in them. I am the Lord your God. You shall therefore keep my statutes and my rules. If a person does them, he shall live by them. I am the Lord. So a holy nation, you shall not be like the places that practice idolatry. You shall not be like the people that practice idolatry. You shall not be like them. You shall live for me. You shall walk in my commandments. You'll be a holy nation. Okay? To what end? To be a kingdom of priests. Now, now in, in the covenant, there was the Levitical priesthood, the tribe of Levi. And then Aaron, from Aaron came this, these, these, these priests. But when he first saved Israel, he said, you'll be a kingdom of priests. Wow, priests, representing God to the people, representing people uh, to God, bringing offerings and sacrifices. But priests in what sense? The whole world is God's. Why, why would God need a kingdom of priests? To preach the gospel to the world. To represent him before the world. Look at Deuteronomy chapter 4. Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 5. And this is in the, in the context. I can't explain the context right now, but it's in a certain context. Uh, Moses is getting ready to take the people in the land after they rebelled. See, I have taught you statutes. Uh, uh, 4, verse 5. See, I have taught you statutes and rules. Moses is seeing, talking for God here. As the Lord my God commanded me that you should do them in the land that you're entering to take possession. So they're going to the land of Canaan. You should do my statutes. You should keep my laws. You should be a holy nation, obedient to me. Keep them and do them, verse 6, that you will be, that will be your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of the peoples. God wants the peoples to see God's standards. God wants the nations to see God's holiness. In the sight of the peoples who, when they hear all these statutes, they'll say, Surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. For what great nation is there that has a God so near to it as the Lord our God is to us whenever we call upon him? And what great nation is there that has statutes and rules so righteous as all this laws that I set before you today? So to cut to the chase, you're going to be for me a holy nation, distinct, separate. And that's what Peter's got at the first chapter, first chapter and a half. He's saying you're going to be a holy people. You're going to be a people of love. You're going to be distinct. You're going to be a people of hope. Right? You're going to fear God. You're going to seek his God. The world doesn't do that, but you're going to be my people. You're going to be my holy people. For what purpose? So you can be a kingdom of priests. So you can be a priesthood of believers. My chosen people. My royal priesthood. So you can represent me before the world. All the world is mine, but you. You're the ones I've made. I'm building you up in a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood can represent me before the world. In other words, you can preach the gospel by how you live, by how you act, by how you treat one another. Everyone will know you're Christians by your love, by how you live in this fallen and broken world, by how you live on social media, by how you live in your families, by how you love one another as a church. You will glorify me. You're preaching the gospel all the time as you worship me. 
In other words, brothers and sisters, when we get down to 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, this is a great summary of the Old Testament purpose of Israel, and it's a great summary of the purpose for us as a church. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. You're going to be my treasured possession of all the nations, he said in Exodus 19, verse, verse 4, verse 5. A people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. The Exodus theme, he brought Israel out darkness into his marvelous light. When he saved me at 19, he brought me out of my darkness into his marvelous light. He's transferred me from the dominion of darkness to the kingdom of light. Church, he's brought you out of darkness into his marvelous light to live with him forever. But the here and now is a time of worship, a worship that witnesses to the glory of God. When we gather here this morning, do you realize as we came to be this holy house, we were declaring, we are declaring his glory and honor because we set ourselves apart. It's a beautiful thing to worship. In our, in our responsive readings, in our prayers, in our singing, in listening to the word, we are declaring God's glory. We're declaring God's glory as we go out into the week, as we help our neighbor change their tire, as we help our neighbor through their emotional distress, as we love our neighbors in Jesus' name, as we stay holy people, a separate people, a distinct people. We are witnessing to God's glory. We're performing our function. We've been given this status as God's people, given the responsibility of worship. Because if we don't worship, if we don't make God known, who will? We are the people of God. We're the house of God. We're the temple of the Holy Spirit made to make a difference in the world. That's why God has left us here. Again, he's created you for his glory, but he's redeemed you to be his witnesses. He's made us a people of God so we could glorify him as we go to work, as we go to school. And may, by God's grace, through our living witness, through our living sacrifices, May more and more people worship God as he so richly deserves. All the nations are his, but we are his people made to declare his praise by how we talk and how we live. What a great calling we have as the church of Jesus Christ. Please stand in his presence. God Almighty, we, uh, we give you our lives here today again. We call people to trust you for the first time, to surrender. And we, God, we stand before you as the people you've made, the people you're making, the people that you have are, are going to bring to heaven. We stand before you today and we give you ourselves again. We want to be your worshipers that lead others to worship. We want to be your offering, Lord that you use for your glory and your fame. Fill us, Holy Spirit. Anoint us with your power. Holy Spirit that dwells in us, change us from the inside out. Make us that distinct people. Lord, if there's stuff that we, uh, we need to give to you, bring that to our mind now. There, there's things we need to get rid of, bring that to our mind now. There's ways we need to change, bring that to our mind now. Let us live this life in response to the great things you've done. Let us live this life in a response of worship 
out of love that you have accomplished in and through us. So we, we, we ask for the power and the grace to go into the world to be your people of praise and worship. And may you get all the glory as more and more people become your worshipers as they see how great you are and how wonderful you are through us. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you so much for listening. The gospel according to the Bible is that Jesus Christ, who was and is the eternal God, took on human flesh, was born of a virgin, died for our sins on the cross, and rose from the dead three days later. He then ascended to the Father's right hand, where he sits making intercession for his people, and right now he is establishing the kingdom of God on earth. You can enter into a saving relationship with God by repenting of your sins and placing your full trust in Jesus' life, his death and resurrection on your behalf. In Christ, you will find forgiveness, acceptance, freedom, peace, hope, and a future. If you would like more information about Christianity or Living Water Bible Fellowship, visit our website at livingwateralamosa.org. God bless.